Hey, thanks for listening to Cornerstone Church. You can find us on the web at akcornerstone.org. And we want you to know it's our prayer that the Holy Spirit will use this message to either save you through the good news about Jesus Christ, grow you into the likeness of Jesus, or send you to proclaim Jesus in the Spirit's power. I grew up on a farm in rural Ontario, Canada, and uh, I love that I have that heritage. Growing up on a farm, I got to see um, my father work hard, taught us to work hard, and I got to learn something else, and that is that there is value in recognizing the seasons, the four seasons of life. Yeah, in Canada, we had four seasons, right, just like in Alaska, well, we kind of have, well, I guess we have sort of two seasons. In, no, we're having four seasons this year, amen, in Alaska. But uh, I remember, so, have so many memories that are just flooding me today of my, my dad uh, having a sense of urgency of the time of the season it was. I, I remember one time he said, we need to go out and, and get those bales of hay off the field because the rain is coming. And so dad and I went and we were throwing those bales up on the hay wagon and, and getting them ready to bring into the barn. And all of a sudden the skies broke open and a gully washer of rain came and uh, we didn't have time to get back to the house or the barn. And so I remember hiding there with dad while the thunder and lightning is just hammering it out you know, around us. We're under the hay wagon. We're kept safe together. And, that, and that's sort of a memory I have of... Uh, the security and the safety I had in the presence of my father. I remember the urgency to um, get out and plow the field uh, in, in, because the rains were coming and uh, we had to, had to get that field plowed before that season came. I remember one time dad said, um, see that field of oats out there? said, if you kids, we had uh, four of us, he said, if you could go out and pull that mustard weed in that field of oats. He said, I'll give you a penny for every weed you pull. Well, we got out there and we worked hard and we pulled those weeds and we, 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 we discovered before long that by sundown we were all going to be millionaires. <laughs> and we were laughing about it, you know, like dad has no idea how many weeds are out in this field. And uh, and he came home and we said, Dad, you owe us some big bucks. You know, I was I was already going to get a truck. And well, anyway, we we gave him a break and uh, he bought us a baseball glove or, or, or took us to A and W or, or I don't know where what, what happened, but we, it was a big joke in our family. Remember, we we still talk about. It. Remember the time Dad said he'd give us a penny for every mustard weed. I mean, he couldn't live up to that promise, and we didn't make him. Well, anyway, growing up on a farm draws me to uh, appreciate the importance of a proverb that Solomon gave in Proverbs chapter 20, verse 4. And it's a very simple verse. It's a a principle that I want to talk about today. And I believe the Holy Spirit uh, wants to uh, impress upon our hearts this uh, uh, powerful principle that is a principle that has applications for so much of our life. It's found in Proverbs chapter 20, verse 4, and, and I like the rendering in the, um, the New Living translation on this verse. It says, if you are too lazy to plow in the right season, you will have no food at the harvest. If you are too lazy to plow in the right season, you will have no food at the har- harvest. I think the um, ESV says uh, 
a sluggard will not plow. So he calls the, the lazy person a sluggard. So this verse uh, contains a very important word picture from agriculture. He says, if you're too lazy to plow in the right season, don't expect to be a harvest at the end of the day. You know, there are four seasons, and we all, we all want the, the fourth season, the, uh, the season of harvest, but there's not going to be the fourth season if we don't invest in the right season, the, the, the spring season or the, you know, whatever season it is when you're to cultivate the soil or plant the seeds. And uh, so this is farm talk. This is the language of agriculture. It's written in a language that everyone should be able to grasp and, and understand. It's speaking about a work ethic. It's speaking about taking responsibility, of, of having initiative, of, uh, of being a leader. A lazy person doesn't think about the seriousness or the shortness of the season. If you are a farmer, you know that there's a very narrow window of opportunity to plow your fields before the rains come or before the ground freezes up. I remember when I was a young pastor, I was uh, pastoring a church in rural farm country of western Ontario and near Dresden, Ontario. And I was visiting a young man in my congregation at his house. And uh, I remember the, the conversation. There was just this sense of urgency. I could sense it in the tone of his voice. I could see it in his eyes. And he was saying, that the forecast is that the rain's coming. The, the rainy season is coming. It was fall time. And, uh, and, and then it was going to freeze up. And then winter, you know, be winter snow. And, and he says, I don't have that field plowed yet. And I need to get at it. And, uh, and so I said, I'll help you. And so we each jumped on a tractor. And, and uh, we followed one another through the darkness of the night with the lights on the tractor and plowed all night long, plowed his field. And got it done. And I still remember, his name was John Moulton. I still remember that look in his eye, that urgency in his voice. He was a, a good farmer. He was just laying around. He says, oh, it's cold out. It's dark out. I'm tired. I wanna go. I've worked all day. I want to go to bed. He jumped on the opportunity that for it was such a narrow window. He only had a few hours left to get that field plowed. And so that's a picture to me of what, of a leadership lesson that this verse is aspiring us to grasp as the people of God. There are several reasons why a farmer recognizes the value, the significance, the urgency, and the seriousness of plowing. Uh, if you are not a, a farmer, you can understand if you have a little garden, maybe you needed to have it uh, cultivated with a rototiller or maybe you just have a, a hoe you know you need to get things hoed uh, you need to cultivate the soil and there's several reasons the first is that well it, the ground needs to, to be broken up if it's hard you need to break up the fallow ground that has become baked hard by the the sun or uh, or overrun by uh, weeds uh, you have to till the ground to break up the hard ground hard pack the second thing is that you have to chop up the old crops turn it into the dirt and it produces mulch and it uh, it puts its goodness puts puts goodness back into the soil the third reason is to expose insect 
larva that is hidden below the ground and it brings it up to the ground and helps uh, uh, eliminate some of that. And then the fourth reason is basically to create a, a fine particled seed bed so that the seed can uh, germinate. It has a fine particle. If, if it's coarse grained, then the seed could lay there without moisture in, in the ground and dry out and the seed won't germinate. So the more finely particled it is, the, the more immersed the, the, the seed will be in the dirt and the more it will be encased in, in moisture and it will germinate. So, so that's why a farmer understands the significance and the seriousness of plowing. It's a big deal. It's important. And Solomon, the wise man, says, don't expect a har- much of a harvest in the fall if you aren't willing to cultivate the soil. Now, what this verse is saying to us is that the best season of productivity is sown in a very narrow window of opportunity. Did you know that the harvest depends upon whether or not one plows at precisely the right time and whether or not one Uh, put seeds in the ground precisely at the right time. Some years there's only a small margin of opportunity to do that, to prepare the soil for planting. There's just a small margin of time between the spring rains and the summer drought. There's a small margin of time between a good harvest and a poor harvest. With a harvest, timing is everything. And in all kinds of harvest, there's a singular moment, there's a right season, a season of time that must be captured if we don't act during that margin of efficiency, then we'll lose the harvest of productivity. There's a higher yield if we labor in the right season. There's a more effective uh, yield and harvest if we work in the right season There will be more produce if we labor in the right season. There's a narrow window, a short season that quickly passes. Did you know that yesterday was the last day of spring? Today is the first day of summer. Yay! Do you know springtime is over? Summer is here. Uh, Seasons pass. They come and go quickly. I didn't, uh, I ran out of time, you know, my, um, you, you call that procrastination, right? I ran out of time. I had this um, bird feeder that I brought from Canada. There's a lot of cedar in Canada, and so there's a lot, was on the property I owned in Canada, there was a lot of hollow cedar logs. So I thought, oh, I can turn those into bird houses. And so I made a couple uh, bird houses, and I brought them with me here, and everywhere I put them up in Eagle River, the chickadees and the nuthatches love them, and I, I, uh, when I sold our home in Eagle River, I, I grabbed them, and I took them out to our, our place out near Point McKenzie, and I didn't get them up in a tree, and I knew, I knew every weekend, man, those birds, they're looking for, I could see they're, they're looking for a place to nest, and I need to get those up there, and I didn't get them hung. They're laying right by my front door, leaning against the side of the garage, sitting on concrete. Guess what? A chickadee found it. 
chickadees coming in and out as we coming in out the door. The chickadees coming in and out there, and and just oh, that's so cool, you know. It just it, it it trusts us enough that we're not going to rob its nest. But you know, the the chickadees gone. I noticed this weekend the chickadees gone. I also noticed I was driving in my driveway that there was little baby robin flying. You, you can tell the little baby robins, right? They can barely get it up. You know, they're just, just almost making it. Then they kind of crash land on a limb and say, oh, I'm so glad I made it. Um, well, the, the robins have flew the coop. They're gone. It, the, the nesting season is over. The, 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 the baby loons have hatched out on our lake and... Um, springtime is over summer is here i know that's bad news for us in alaska but hey there's there's still a lot of time left a lot of time left but it helps us appreciate though the meaning of this verse and the application it has in our life that we don't have forever to do something it is a narrow window and and it leads me to this thought that our best season of spiritual maturity is nurtured in a very narrow window of opportunity as well. Our best season of spiritual maturity is nurtured in a very narrow window of opportunity. That means that um, our spiritual development happens within a very narrow moment of time, particularly when we're young. How many of you have ever heard it said that, um, or been told Enjoy your children while you have them. They'll soon be gone, right? How many times somebody told Frankie and I that when our kids were young? Enjoy them when you have them. Enjoy them when you have them. I kind of got tired of it. But you know, I find myself saying that now. Now they're gone. And uh, and I, I didn't prepare for it. My oldest son, Brandon, when he went off to Bible school, I was so excited. I was kind of living through him and... Uh, and I was just, oh, I remember the days when I went off to college and uh, I was happy for him. And I, we, we left him off at the men's dormitory. And then we went off to our motel room there, there in Sussex, New Brunswick. And, uh, and we went, went to bed, got in our beds, we're laying there. And all of a sudden, whoosh, it's like a tsunami of emotion hit me. And I laid there and I sobbed and I cried and I cried for a long, and I couldn't stop it. I just couldn't, I couldn't stop it. All of a sudden, something from somewhere came out of me of this sadness that kind of jump-started for a period of time, I guess what they call a midlife crisis, where um, I thought, I mean, I had to fight these thoughts that I, I truly felt deep within that my life was over, that the good days were over, uh, that, you know, the, the rest was just going to be ho-hum, and the Lord had to show me that, no, the, the best years are ahead. And so now my youngest son, Blaine, is here. And, and we've got a little grandson, he and Lindy. And now I'm getting to enjoy grandfather days. But, but what, what happened to me at that, that night when we dropped Brandon off to Bible school was a, a recognition that those days of child rearing were gone. Enjoying the kids playing chase in the home and, you know, watching them play hockey and all those fun things you do with kids was was now gone. And we only have a small window of time to leave an impression and to build and nurture a godly aspiration in the lives of our children. 
We all reap seeds that we sow. And the season of sowing is a very, very critical time of life. When I was in high school, one of the first verses that I remember memorizing was Galatians 6, 7 that says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. And, and it means that there is potential for us to have deception about something here. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that he shall also reap. We reap what we sow. We reach how much we sow. We reap according to what we sow. We will only reap if we sow. And there's a principle embedded in that that echoes this proverb of of Solomon's that if you're too lazy to plow, if you're too lazy to sow in the right season, do, do do we understand this, folks? There is a right season and a wrong season. There's a good season and there's a not good season. There's a proper season. There's a season that will produce a harvest and there are other seasons that won't produce a harvest. You know, in Psalm 1, it says, Blessed is the man that, you know, does not sit in the seat of the scornful and stand in the way of sinners, and, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And he brings forth his fruit in his what? Season. God understands their seasons. And there's not only seasons in the agricultural world, there's seasons in all of life. And you could apply it in many aspects of your life, I'm sure. With these wildfires going on in Alaska, I'm sure there's a moment of time, just a narrow margin of time to run for safety or to have protection or, you know, just there's often just a narrow window of opportunity we don't have forever. We should not expect forever when it comes to the opportunities that God sends us. If God is moving on your heart, That is the time to respond. If the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, do not delay. Whenever God is working in your life, that is the time to cooperate with Him. If God has given you children, that is the time to mold their life, to shape their values, to cast a vision for God's kingdom in their life. Jeremiah said, The people cried, the harvest is finished, the summer is gone, yet we are not saved. Procrastination is perilous. Procrastination presumes on the future. It thinks the future will work out without the work. One of Satan's best weapons to get us to put a good intention off until a later time. Procrastination is... uh, opportunity's natural assassin. I think it was uh, Shakespeare that said, you can't kill time without injuring eternity. If you don't like Shakespeare, let me quote John Wayne, okay? I think it was John Wayne says, get up, you're, you're burning daylight. <laughs> get out of bed, you're burning daylight. So there's a margin of time that's so critical, so important. Some of you know that I'm a beekeeper. Amateur beekeeper. I have three beehives right now. A few years ago, I had two hives when I lived in Eagle River. And some of you heard me tell this story, but um, I think it was uh, probably three or four years ago when we had that other really warm summer. Remember that summer? It was just it was hot right through to the first couple weeks of August, even. Well, I think it was like July 20th or 25th. Um, 
we, were, we needed to take a trip back to Canada to visit my son and his family. And it was, that, that's right at the time when you need to think about pulling your frames of honey to uh, extract the honey if you want to get any because August gets cold and, and you need hot weather in order for there to be nectar in the fireweed blossoms. Otherwise, they don't uh, gather, not able to gather nectar and produce honey from them. So we're trying to decide, should we... Uh, pull the frames and extract the honey before we go on the trip or after we get back. And we decided to go ahead and do it before we left. And we were really busy, you know how it is when you're getting ready for a trip, with what we need to do it. And I had read that if you uh, put freshly extracted comb back in the hive during a nectar flow, which, you know, the fireweed were in full blossom during that time, then the bees will fill the frames right back up within a matter of days. I thought, well... I'll test the theory. I'll see if it works. And so we extracted the honey. And even my first crop of honey was like record. Like I was so excited about it because all I'd ever gotten before that was like 30 or 50 pounds a year. This first extraction was 171 pounds. 170. Whoa, I am a rich man. And we put it right back on the hive, and I was checking my weather app the whole time we're in Canada, and we're getting mid-70-degree weathers up here, and I, and, and weathers, um, weather. And I was so excited, and I got back, and I looked in the hive, and those girls had filled it up completely, and so that when I extracted it, I'd got, I got two pounds more during the second harvest than I did the first, and the second harvest was almost, you could almost guarantee that it was nothing but fireweed because it was fireweed blossom at the time and it was like that pure white uh, fireweed honey it was just amazing so i got like 350 pounds of honey that year and uh, we are we're still eating off of that so, and some of you have it. some of you bought it at the at the fair last fall and uh, if you're on the staff here i gave you some for so we're still blessed by that so but if we hadn't have jumped on that narrow window, we wouldn't have that story to tell. I wouldn't know the principle of that even, right? So there's a very critical moment in all of life. And Solomon says, you need to understand this. It's embedded in all of life. It's embedded in our spiritual life. It's embedded in your life. You, can't, you will not live forever here in this world. There is a moment of time that you are given and you are responsible for that moment of time. And in matters of harvest, there is a divine moment to seize. There's a time of opportunity uh, that is here for only a season, and then it wishes by. Then it passes by quickly. Will God find you and me laboring in the right season? Our best season of spiritual maturity is nurtured in a very narrow window of opportunity. So that leads me to this application. It's a parenting question and a ministry question. If the ministry of the church is supposed to be about nurturing people towards Christ-likeness, then when is the best season to nurture Christ-likeness in a person's life? If life works according to seasons, and if there's a season that is a window of opportunity, is there a best season to do that? What is the seasons of, season of a person's life when our labors will produce maximum harvest? 
and then the season of less harvest or little harvest. Is there a season? I want uh, you to put up, Andrew, if you wouldn't mind, put up on the screen this that this is a graph of a survey done by George Barna that I found many years ago. Uh, I I don't know when it came out, at least 15 years ago, and it's impacted me my whole life. I like to show it on uh, these days like this. Um, We had a baby dedication in the early service, and I like to show it during these times. But George Barna found that of of the people who said that they responded to Christ, um, you know, you can count that up. The engineers after the early service challenged me on my percents here, so I I need to go back and read the original George Barna report because the percents don't add up. I think the percents mean, you know, not, 100% of people don't respond to Christ, right? So that, that's, that's the 100%, you know, how you figure it out. So the 32% of those who, uh, who did respond to Christ, I don't think I'm saying this right, but you get the drift of it, were ages 5 to 13. And that's that first column. Ages 4 to 16, only 4% who said that they came to Christ did it during those years. And only 6% who were Christians said that they became a Christian when they were 19 and older. So I think I'm saying it kind of right there, you engineer eggheads. So it's uh, it, it, those who, who came to Christ... Uh, the majority of them came to Christ, 32% of them came to Christ from ages 5 to 13. Does that make sense? Does that kind of um, tell you something? <laughs> right? You know, it tells me that the best window of opportunity to reach a person for Christ is at what, ta- what years? Right? 5 to 13. It also tells me that who are the best evangelists? To reach people for Christ. Parents, right? I mean, who has the most impact on their children? Parents do. And then it leads me to another question. Of, of all the ministries in the church, what, what would be the, the ministry that have the greatest evangelistic impact for the world? Antioch School. No. <laughs> Children's ministry, right? children's ministry and wasn't it last sunday that pastor shane had to get up and ask for help for laborers for the harvest jesus said the the harvest is plenteous but the laborers are few and jesus is ask is asking people to to labor for the harvest and 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 he says the best window of opportunity is children you know there is one day Some parents, it says in Mark's gospel, brought their children to Jesus so he could touch them and bless them. But the disciples told them not to bother him. That Jesus was only for adults, right? (laughs) Is that what the disciples thought? They said, don't bother them with children. Don't bother Jesus with children. But when Jesus saw what was happening, that the disciples were turning the children away from him, He was very displeased with his disciples. And he said to them, let the children come to me. Don't stop them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I assure you, anyone who doesn't have their kind of faith will never get into the kingdom of God. 
So why did Jesus not like the disciples pushing aside a ministry to children? Why did he not like that? Because he knew that children respond to the gospel quicker than any other age group. Children have very keen predisposition to faith. And Jesus says that that is the attitude that serves one best for having a fruitful harvest. And that is the only attitude in which we can come to Jesus and get into his kingdom. Therefore, if you want to spend your life for maximum kingdom productivity, where should you concentrate your energy and your resources? I'd say children's ministry would be a pretty good place. Let's go back to our text in Proverbs 20, verse 4 again. This verse is assuming something about our human nature. It's pointing to a fundamental weakness that causes people to not want to respond to what they know they should be doing. There's a critical tendency in human nature that causes us to throw away seasons of wonderful opportunity. And and there's a word that describes this. It's called procrastination, putting it off, expecting that there's going to be a harvest without the effort put into it. And this verse says that there's a human tendency towards apathy and indifference and laziness. As Shakespeare said, if you kill time, you are injuring eternity. I remember one time when God showed me this, and I've told some of you the story, but it's impacted my life. When I was living in Fairbanks, you, you know that I'm a good Canadian, eh? Can you, have, you, have, you, have, you, have you figured that out yet? <laughs> so I love hockey. How many of you know that the hockey draft is this coming weekend? What are you guys, basketball players or something? Football? Yeah. Who won the Stanley Cup? Did you know there was a Stanley Cup? Did you know somebody won the Stanley Cup a week ago? How many of you know who won the Stanley Cup? Hey, 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 Chicago Blackhawks. I don't, you know, I don't, they're not, I'm not a fan of their team, but they're a hockey team. So yay, Chicago. Okay, so, uh, so I love hockey, and I, I figured that my kids growing up in my home would love hockey, and they love hockey, and we took our kids in Fairbanks to watch the UAF Nanooks. Go Nanooks, eh? Yeah, Nanooks. We watched a lot of good hockey in Fairbanks. The, the Olympic teams came through there. I saw a lot of guys that were drafted. They ended up playing in the professionals. It was great hockey. Loved it. Well, one year, my oldest son, Brandon, decided he wanted to play hockey. Well, for whatever reason, we didn't get him into hockey when he was really little. So when he entered into the sport, he entered in at the bantam level. And I think there's probably about three divisions below that. When Blaine came along, he started in lower. He became a great hockey player. And, uh, and I even coached him one year, so all the credit know him. But anyway, I'm watching Brandon out there playing the game, his very first game, and I'm, and I'm just so excited. There's my son playing hockey, and I, and I watch him go over the blue line before the puck went over the blue line. Brandon, you can't skate over the, you can't enter the blue line, enter the zone before the puck enters the zone. And I realized I didn't tell him that. And, oh, Brandon, you can't do that. And, I, I didn't t- and all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit, I still remember, I could almost go to the very seat I was sitting, spoke to me 
with that principle. And he said, what if you are that, you know, I didn't I passed on the love of hockey to my son, but I didn't explain the rules to him. And the Holy Spirit said, what if you are doing the very same thing with spiritual matters, with your children and with your church? What if you just expect a harvest? What if you just expect a revival? What if you just expect your people in your congregation to get saved and to be God-fearing Christ followers? What if you just expect the world to come to Jesus? What if we just expect the harvest of our children becoming like Christ because we are Christ followers? No, you have to plow. You have to plow. You have to go out in the middle of the night. You have to sweat. You have to toil. You have to lose sleep over your children. You have to invest time in order for there to be a harvest. We parent our children within a very narrow window of opportunity. We have a very narrow window to nurture a kingdom aspiration in our kids. Few people ever grow very far from the roots that they established when they were a child. We are all a chip off the old block, aren't we? When I go back home to Canada, people say that my aunts, you know, I love my aunts, but they, they'll, they'll giggle to one another and they say, they'll look at me because they don't hardly ever see me, right? And, and now I look like an old man when I go home and not the little boy that I grew up, you know, and they'll say, He's the spitting image of Ralph. He, they'll giggle and they say, he, he talks just like Ralph. I'll tell a joke and they'll say, that's just like Ralph. You know, the same kind of humor. And uh, he walks just like Ralph. Well, I didn't set out to try and talk like Ralph. My dad's name was Ralph, you know, or walk like Ralph. I do remember in the winter when dad would go to the pond and we'd have to cut a hole in the ice for the cattle to have a drink. I remember intentionally trying to, jump in his footsteps through the snow. Maybe I uh, learned to walk like dad that way. But we all are, uh, you know, we were cast in the mold that our parents set, right? And we don't move far from that. And that's what Solomon also meant when he said, train up a child in the way that it should should go. And when it's old, it will not depart from it. it. You don't move far from the way that you're raised. If you go look at my garden, my garden has um, a lot of potatoes in it. I've got, what, five rows of potatoes? Well, I'm, I, have, I have potatoes because I'm a good Shillington. Shillington are of Irish stock, you know, and, and Irishmen love potatoes, right? <laughs> so you know, just, it's just there. And so uh, we don't, children are like wet cement, and we need to make the right impression in their lives. And Solomon is saying, if you don't get that, if you don't recognize that, if you don't honor the seriousness of seasons, then there's no expectation of a harvest. Don't expect a harvest. Don't expect things to turn out the way you want them to turn out if you don't invest in that. And so there's an urgency. Yesterday, I rented a skid steer with a auger hole attachment to it and we punched Blaine and helped me punch a bunch of holes to there's an urgency in my heart to get a fence up because the porcupines are already eating my raspberry plants and the, the cow and a calf moose have already walked through my garden and I've got raspberries and uh, 
haskaps and blueberries and uh, currants, black currants, red currants, apple trees, cherry trees, lettuce and broccoli. I've got all of it in my garden and I've got an investment there (laughs) and I need a fence. And so there's this sense of urgency, right? Before the fall season comes and they're looking for something to munch on, they're going to like my garden. Parents, if you want to challenge your children with a kingdom aspiration, you've got to labor in the right season. So this proverb teaches us the importance of taking responsibility. There's a work ethic necessary. There's a responsibility, there's initiative necessary for ever expecting there to be a harvest in the end. Do you want to see God move in our times? Do you want to see revival in our day? Do you want to see God capture this generation, this heart for the Lord? We have to labor within the window of opportunity that is ours. And a godly leader is a person who takes that responsibility. It's like my friend John Moulton, whose eyes are big and there's a tone of seriousness in his voice. I need to get out and plow that field. The rain is coming. Do you have that sense of responsibility and urgency about your own children and your own family? A godly leader is a person who seizes that window of opportunity. A godly father will nurture a kingdom aspiration in their children while they're open to the gospel, while their children are still forming and shaping values and establishing worldviews and making life choices and, and creating friendships for life. For some of you here this morning, that window of opportunity is still open. Train up your child in the way that it should go. Plow in the right season, and you will have a bountiful harvest in the end. Again, today is the first day of summer. Springtime is over. It reminds us that seasons come and seasons go. We can't play, hit replay, right? This week I, I bent a nail I bent a nail over and, and, and it shows you one thing is how my mind is so shaped by the world. I'm, I'm used to plus, pressing rewind on everything. I, I bent this nail and I go, oh, I don't want to do the work of knocking that nail back out now. So I, my mind automatically went without thinking, well, just hit rewind. Go, what am I thinking? You know, hit rewind, hit rewind. You can't hit rewind on life, can we? You get on Facebook and you look at friends from high school and college days and say, man, did they ever get old? You look at yourself, right? You can't hit rewind when it comes to parenting. This morning in our early service, we dedicated a little, little girl to the Lord. We challenged the congregation that all of us are involved in nurturing a love for Jesus in this little girl. And I want to challenge us in conclusion now with two thoughts. I want to challenge the men who are here, and I want to challenge all of us in respect of children's ministry in this church. I want to ask you, first of all, men, have you heard the Lord speaking to you this morning and said, I'm willing, by God's grace and help, to accept this responsibility. I I see that it is a narrow window of opportunity that I don't have forever. And I will, by God's grace, seize the moment. I will disciple my children. I will raise them in the fear of the Lord. I will be a godly leader in my home. 
I will take initiative that as a man, I will not wait until my midlife or older years to become a man of God. I will live as a man of God right now before my children. Don't dilly dally and put it off. Your children need to see you loving Jesus today. As we were driving into church this morning, Frankie and I were listening to some old gospel hymns and 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 my mind was reflecting as we were listening to these particular songs. I, for some reason, was thinking of my father and and I could just see the tears running down his cheeks as he was singing these old hymns. I, I would observe that in church. I, I'd see him loving Jesus. I'd see him in the home as we would he would have us kneel by our chairs and we'd pray around the table after a meal, and I'd hear him weeping and crying as he'd ask God for his favor over somebody that was lost. My father witnessed to me what it was like to serve the Lord. Don't put that off, fathers. Your children are wet cement. Make the right impression in their lives. I'm going to ask any man here this morning or any grandfather here this morning, are you willing to to recognize the season that we have and by God's grace to, 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 to plow in that season and to sow in that season, to nurture in that season? Are you willing to make that commitment? I'm going to ask you to stand right now. God bless you, men. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Amen. There's a mantle of leadership upon you, men. There's a mantle of leadership that God has created you for. May God bless our men this morning. Holy Spirit, anoint them, empower them. I'm sure that they don't feel qualified at all, Lord. But Lord, they're taking a step into the water right now to be obedient to you and to and to be a godly influence in their their home lord and just take them from this moment forward to lead their family to Jesus Christ and to bring them to church and to let their children see them and witness them making God's work a priority in their life. And I'm going to ask a second question and ask for a second commitment. Do you we, we have a need in children's ministry. There's always a need here. And you saw the Barna report there the, of how the, there's such a greater percentage of people who give their life to Christ come to faith when they're a child. Are, have you heard the Lord saying, talking to you about the importance of children's ministry and, and maybe moved on your heart to hear a call towards children's ministry? Is there anybody like that this morning? That I'm not I'm not going to give your name to Pastor Shane. I'm not going to hold you to that, but just say, Lord, I I have seen maybe for the first time today the importance of children's ministry. Is anybody like that this morning? And I'm willing just to follow you if you call me there. Anybody like that? Seeing the value of the stand if you're called to children's ministry. Lord, bless this, this truth to our hearts today. I pray that uh, we will recognize the importance of seasons, Lord, and investing time and urgency in the right season, and that we can't expect a harvest 
if we don't plow in the right season. Lord, apply that in each of our lives, in each of our cases, as you see fit now, we ask in Jesus' name. We ask your blessing upon everyone who has stood here, Lord. It does my heart good. I know it does yours good, Lord, for the labors are few. Oh, God, raise up a a congregation of godly men at Cornerstone who lead their homes and lead the church. We praise you and thank you for these dear men, Lord. What a group of leaders we have here, God. You've assembled us together for this hour and this time, and, and we want to take... Uh, we, we want this to take the kingdom of darkness by storm in our day, Lord. We take responsibility for this hour that you've planted us in. And I pray, Father, that you will raise up men of God for this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.